Good morning. I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word now, Lord, may we come as those desiring to hear, to hear from a God who speaks to us where we are. May we come to you in coming to your word, and may we See ourselves in it, and may we be changed by an encounter with the living Christ, his gospel, his word. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. The Bible speaks to us not where we wish ourselves to be, but where we actually are. You might wish yourself to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, but you look at yourself in the mirror, and instead you find that you are rather dull, poor, and portly. You might wish to have beaten that sin once and for all, but instead you find the same bad, self-destructive behavior resurfacing in your life again and again and again. You may wish your life circumstances were different, quite different from what they are, but God doesn't speak into some idealized version of your life. He speaks into the mess that you actually find yourself in. I think we need to realize that and be glad for that this morning. We need to be glad for this, that the Bible speaks to us not where we wish ourselves to be, but where we actually are. The Bible speaks to us where we are, but it also changes our perspective on where we are. Our passage in 1 Peter today gives us a prime example of God speaking to people where they are and then changing their perspective on the situation they find themselves in. We see this happening here in verse 18 as the scripture addresses people who are caught up in slavery. Slavery. In the Roman world, 
of the first century, slavery existed virtually everywhere. The Bible doesn't gloss over this fact in favor of some rosier view of the world. The Bible doesn't see the world la vie en rose, as the French would say, through rose-colored glasses. No, Jesus sees the world like it is, with all this ugliness. He doesn't gloss over it. He doesn't overlook it. He actually points it out. He points it out, and he points out the way to something better. A way of holiness in the midst of the world's ugliness. However ugly the place and dark the road you find yourself on, Jesus tells us how to find the true light and walk in it. We want to see that. As an apostle of Christ, Peter points us to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life as the only way through the most impossible of situations in this life. Impossible situations like human slavery. It would have been very easy to do, but Peter doesn't sweep slaves under the rug like they don't exist. Far from ignoring it, the Bible recognizes the ugly and the unjust system of slavery and speaks directly to people who are trapped in it. The ancient world was full of people trapped in this system, a system of slavery, whether they became slaves through conquest as Rome would go out, conquering other nations, bring them back as slaves. Some were sold into slavery through their own poverty, and some were simply born into slavery. In ancient Rome, as much as 40% of the population were slaves. And slavery remained a large institution in the Western world until evangelical Christians like William Wilberforce made it their life's goal to end slavery. And throughout history, gospel-believing Christians have done much to end slavery in the world. But slavery still exists in many parts of the world today, particularly in those places least touched by the gospel. How strange it would be if the Bible had no direct word for all these people, right? How strange it would be. You can imagine the early Christians who were slaves asking, what about us? What does God say to us as slaves? What should we do now that we have believed? It's strange if God did not have a direct word for all these people. But graciously, God didn't leave people in doubt. He spoke clearly and directly to those trapped in slavery about how they were to live. Remember, God always speaks to people where they are, not where they wish themselves to be. And that's true for you as well today. The Bible speaks to you where you are, not to some cleaned up future version of yourself. Even in this passage, God is speaking to you where you are. Don't assume 
because this is a word for slaves that there's nothing here for me. You may not be enslaved this morning, but most of us still have people in our lives who hold a fair amount of power over us. It could be an employer, a boss, a board of trustees, a personnel team, committee. At times, it can feel like these people hold our lives and our futures in their sometimes incompetent hands. But God says a resounding no. No, they don't. Ultimately, they don't hold your life in their hands. I do. I do. But even so, the Lord says, I want you to know how to live when your employer is unreasonable. When you've got a bad boss. When you're persecuted at work. I want you to know how to live. This is how. Verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the first heading. The first thing I want you to see, verse 18. Submit to those who are temporarily over you. Submit to those who are temporarily over you. In reverence for God, submit yourselves to those who are over you temporarily. Even if they're harsh and flawed individuals, and the system itself is harsh and flawed. Notice, though, I emphasize this word. Notice that I use the word temporarily. Submit yourselves to those who are temporarily over you. I'm emphasizing that word for two reasons. First, because every situation in life is temporary. You know that? Every situation is temporary, including the bad ones. Even if your entire career involves you working for the same bad boss, it's temporary. It's temporary. On the timeline of your existence, working for that bad boss is just a dot. Just one small dot. That's because everything in this life is only one small dot when compared to what is coming in Christ's kingdom. What is coming with an eternity with God, free from all bad authority, free from all bad bosses in a world without end. That is coming. It's temporary. So even if you're in a bad situation, it's only temporary. Even if it's a horrible situation, you can take comfort in this. This horrible thing, this is as close to experiencing hell that I will ever know. It's as close to hell as I will ever come. This bad thing. Do you see it that way? For Christians, the bad things in this life are all the hell we will ever experience, while for others, this life is all the heaven they will ever know. The good and the bad of this life are both temporary, like a vapor that's here for a moment and then it's gone. Everything in this life is temporary, and that's a good thing. But there's a second reason why I use the word temporary here. It's because unjust situations are to be changed and corrected, if at all possible. 
Paul says this to slaves in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21. He says, were you a slave when you were called? Were you a slave when you were saved? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what Paul's saying? God speaks into the bad situation and says, if you can't escape it, don't let it trouble you. I will be with you even in the midst of the worst of it. But if there is an opportunity to be free, take it. Take it. You understand what God's saying? God will be with us in the midst of the hardest and most unjust situations in life, the most unjust systems, because a broken world will always be full of such things. But if there are opportunities to change the system or improve the situation, we are free to take them. We should take them. You see how that works? In reverence for God, submit yourself even to harsh bosses who are temporarily over you. But if you can gain your freedom from them, do so. If you can improve the situation, do so. If you can't, if you feel trapped, don't despair. God will be with you even in the worst, even in the most unjust system, even in the most unreasonable circumstances. God says, I am with you. Whether you can or you can't improve the situation, God wants you to know this, verse 19. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Here's our second hitting for verses 19 and 20. Sorrows are temporary opportunities. Sorrows are temporary opportunities for eternal honor. Sorrows are temporary opportunities for eternal honor. Bearing up under injustice because of your faith in God is a commendable thing, Peter says. It is something that deserves honor. And it will receive honor from God. The slaves in Peter's day who suffered unjustly but persevered in joy through faith in Jesus, they receive the welcome of honor into God's kingdom. They hear the king himself say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. For every justice, every injustice, and temporary sorrow that you overcame in life, in my name, there is eternal reward and honor here in this kingdom to claim forever. What was true for slaves in the first century, guess what, church? It is true for us as well today. Our temporary sorrows can be opportunities. Opportunities for eternal honor in God's kingdom when we bear up under them through trusting in Christ. What might that look like, you ask? It might look like at your next performance review at work, When unjust criticism comes your way, 
you handle it differently than others. Why? Because you're trusting in a God who sees all things. He sees all things clearly and who will one day right every wrong, every misconception. Or it might look like your bad boss placing an illegal demand on you or asking you to do something that your conscience knows is wrong. And in resisting, you know you'll make him angry. But you bear up under that unjust anger because you believe God sees you, that he cares about how you do your work. When we lived in France, this often looked like us trusting God at our next prefecture visit. When you were there in the office and yet another document that wasn't on any list is asked for. And this document depends on whether you can stay in the country or not. Uh, It felt like an unjust system designed to wear you down as a foreigner and make you want to go home. But you bear up under it, conscious that God sees you. He's with you. He is the one who has you where you are. You are ultimately not at the prefecture agent's mercy. You are ultimately under God's grace. Peter says it's commendable when you bear up under injustice. This finds favor. Not just among ourselves. This is not us saying to each other, well done. But God himself is the one commending the way we bear up under injustice. It's his favor we get to enjoy. We get to hear his well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've endured much that was painful and unjust, and you did it all through believing my promises. Well done. Enter into the joy of your master. This is one of the reasons why James... And the book of James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. This is why Paul teaches that bearing up under these light momentary afflictions will produce for us an eternal weight of glory. Amazingly, God will repay. He promises to repay all unjust suffering in such a way that one day we'll actually be glad. We went through that hard thing. We experienced that injustice because the weight of glory so much outweighs the suffering we went through. Paul says that these light momentary afflictions are producing for me an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Your experience of heaven will be richer forever because you persevered through hard things now. But notice, this is only promised for unjust suffering and sorrows, not the sorrows that we brought upon ourselves. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure This finds favor with God. We should make a distinction here. We should make a distinction between suffering 
because we're a Christian at work and suffering because we're a jerk at work. Those are two different things, aren't they? There's a difference between suffering for being a good ambassador of Christ versus suffering for being a bad one. Peter says these are two very different things. For your boss to treat you harshly because you stole something and for your boss to treat you harshly because you refused to steal something. Those are two very different things. One will receive God's well done and the other will not. Getting fired from your job because you got caught cooking the books is a very different thing from getting fired from your job because you refused to cook the books and report false figures. Peter says, if suffering is inevitable, and it is inevitable in a broken world, then suffer for doing what is right, not for doing what is wrong. Because, verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his, his steps, who committed no sin, nor is there any deceit found in his mouth. Here's a third truth I want you to see, verses 21 and 22. Suffering unjustly for Jesus is part of your calling. Suffering unjustly for Jesus is part of your calling. God called you to suffer unjustly, to suffer unjustly for Jesus' sake. God called you to suffer unjustly for Jesus because Jesus suffered unjustly for you. You see that in verses 21 and 22? This is more than just a statement here about Jesus' sinlessness. He committed no sin. We see that in verse 22. He, he was sinless. We see in verse 21, he's our example but Peter tells us this because Jesus is more than just our example. He is our motivation. What is supposed to motivate you to suffer unjustly? Is it, come on, KJ, be sinless like Jesus is sinless. If that's all I say to myself, that probably won't get me very far, will it? In the face of a boss who hates me. Just be sinless. Like Jesus is sinless. I, I need a bigger motivation than that. I need a bigger motivation to be like Jesus and don't sin when I'm suffering unjustly. I need a motivation that is intensely personal. And that's exactly what Peter gives us. Look again, verse 21, and notice how many times for you. You is talked about here. Verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. There's a lot of use in verse 21 because this is an intensely personal motivation. Peter says, you have been called into a story. You personally, have been called into the gospel story in which there is unjust suffering, but it's not the suffering that happens to you that defines you. It's the suffering that has happened for you that defines you. 
what Jesus did for me more radically shapes my identity than anything any abuser has done to me. And that's good news. Church, that is good news. So, here is your motivation. Not just be sinless like Jesus in suffering, but this. Jesus has already suffered sinlessly for you, in your place. Now, enjoy over all the suffering that he has removed from you. Suffer well the small things that come your way. You see, this is an argument from lesser to greater. Jesus endured the wrath of God for you, the greater thing. You can endure the lesser. You can endure the wrath of man. Because Jesus endured the wrath of God for you, you can endure the wrath of man for him. Gladly. Thankfully. Why? Because this is as close to hell as you will ever come. Thanks to Jesus. Because Jesus took an eternity of suffering for me, which I justly deserved upon himself, I can now gladly bear up under the little tastes of suffering that come my way that I don't deserve. He took what I did deserve, so now I can endure the things I don't deserve. Remember, Jesus speaks to us where we are. But he also changes our perspective on where we are. The whole book of 1 Peter is about changing our perspective on what it means to live as foreigners and exiles for Jesus. We will hear Peter say in the next chapter, sorry, in chapter 4 we will hear him say, verses 12 and 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which has come upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you share in the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Now, I'm not going to preach chapter 4 right now. We're saving that. But I do want you to know where Peter is going in this letter. He is speaking to us where we are, and he is changing our perspective on where we are. Don't be surprised when you suffer unjustly as though some strange thing were happening to you. When I see unjust suffering as some strange thing, then I, that I have the right to be free from, then I'm going to feel hurt and surprised when it comes. But when I expect it as part of following Jesus in a fallen world, then I can rejoice like Peter says, because I see it as an opportunity to hold tightly to Jesus and to have a story of overcoming hardship to share when the king returns in his glory. Remember, church, suffering unjustly for Jesus is part of your calling. You can't escape it. It's not a strange thing. It is part of your calling. For you have been called for this purpose. Verse 21. We have the motivation to see us through this calling. Because we have the story. 
the gospel story that sees us through. The gospel story is the well where Peter goes to draw from next. We see that in verses 23 and 24. Christ, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Here is the fourth and final heading I want you to see. Suffering well will draw us continually to the gospel. Suffering well will draw us continually to the gospel. If we want to respond to suffering like Jesus, we have to see our suffering like Jesus did. We have to see our suffering through a gospel lens. In the gospels, Jesus doesn't return insult for insult. He doesn't retaliate with threats of vengeance. Instead, he entrusts himself to God who will right every wrong in the end. If we want to suffer like Jesus in the Gospels, we've got to see our suffering through the lens of the Gospel. We've got to let Jesus' story of dealing with unjust suffering shape our story of how we deal with unjust suffering. When we see our suffering through Jesus' suffering, This is what begins to happen in us. We start replacing our old natural responses. Our old knee-jerk desires for vengeance is replaced with a future-looking trust in God, who is the avenger, who will set all things right. We respond like Jesus, verse 23. He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. We look to Jesus, and our response is reshaped by his response. Our response to suffering is reshaped by his response. Instead of wanting to hurt those who have hurt me, I do what Jesus did. I forgive. I do them good because that's what Jesus did when I had hurt him. I leave it in the hands of a just judge to sort everything out in the end. A future-looking faith in God's justice enables me to look past my desire for revenge. A focus on Jesus' suffering for me in the past motivates me to suffer well for him in the present. And I can only do this as I focus upon the gospel itself. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. There is a lot of gospel content in those two verses. I hope you see it. There's a lot here. Let's see if we can pick out some of those elements together as we draw things to a close. Verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins. Hope you realize that's a quote. It's a quote about the Messiah recorded by Isaiah. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, it was foretold that the Son of God would come to us and take upon himself the consequences for our rebellion against God. 
in his real body, in real human history, he took upon himself our sins upon a real Roman cross. He absorbed our guilt. And what he suffered on the cross was the punishment that was due us. Not just the painful death of a criminal, but he suffered the wrath of God. The punishment for our cosmic treason fell upon him. Jesus willingly did all this so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Die to sin, that we might die to the consequences of our sin, which is eternal separation from the God we offended, but also that we might die to the dominion of our sin now. Our wills are no longer in total bondage. No longer are our desires in total rebellion against God. We now have a new heart, the scripture says, with new desires and new affections. We now have been set free to live to righteousness, to live for righteousness. Both in the sense that Christ's righteousness covers our lives. So that when God looks at us, when he sees us, he sees Christ and his righteousness covering us. We have the sense of Christ's righteousness that we wear like a robe, but also we have it in this sense. We live for righteousness. Being freed from sin's dominion means that we can now devote ourselves to glorifying God in all that we do. And whatever we do, whether we eat or we drink or whatever, whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. So, Christ has made us righteous positionally before God, and Christ has made us righteous practically in the actions that flow from this new identity that we have in him. We do of this, however, verse 24, we do this, live to righteousness, realizing that we haven't arrived. We are not hot stuff. We are still very much a work in progress. We're still very much a mess. But by God's grace, we are not as sick as we were before. Because by his wounds, verse 24, we have been healed. All credit goes to the physician for any good in us. All praise goes to the healer, not us, for any signs of health. Because the gospel says, this was our lot, verse 25. For you were continually strain like sheep. If you know anything about sheep, you probably know this. Sheep are dumb, right? Sheep are dumb animals. What does this mean then? All of us, like dumb sheep, we went astray. We've gone astray. But God speaks to us, strange sheep, where we are. The great shepherd took upon himself our sin, and he came to seek and save lost sheep like us. Peter says, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. A return implies something. It implies, we turn around, it implies repentance. We have returned. We have repented. You've turned from seeking your own way, from trying to be your own king, and you've returned to the shepherd whose rule is right, whose care is good for your souls. When I forget the truths found in verses 24 and 25, when I forget the gospel, 
I revert back to my natural way of dealing with suffering. I stray. Go astray. You revert back to your natural way of dealing with suffering, whether that's anger, a desire for revenge, or denial and withdrawing from others, or irritation and lashing out at the people closest to you. We all go back to our own way like wayward sheep gone astray. We go back to being the centerpiece of the story, of a story that's all about us and all the wrongs that have been done to us. We go back to being defined by our suffering, what people have done to me instead of what Jesus has done for me. And when we do this, we show that we have lost sight of the great story. We lose sight of the great story that is meant to swallow up and transform our story. When we've lost sight of the gospel, our response to our boss, our response to a new trial, our response to suffering will show it. It will show that our focus is on ourselves, not on Jesus. This is where some of us today are. But God's word speaks to us where we are and continually calls us to return. Come back to the shepherd, the good shepherd. Return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Repent and embrace again the one who suffered all these things for you. The Bible speaks to us where we are and offers us a fresh perspective on our circumstances. See your story and suffering differently today as you see them through Christ's story and his suffering. May this be your response to God's word now. As you've heard the word and as we pray together. Father, may you empower us to respond differently to suffering to injustice, to bad circumstances that we find ourselves in because we have fixed our hearts, we have fixed our eyes upon the Lord Jesus, the King of grace and glory who suffers unjustly for us. What he has done for us defines us far, far more than anything anyone else has done to us. May we find fresh faith and joy in this Savior this morning. May every heart, no matter how, how much evil we've seen, no matter how much we suffered, may we embrace a, the greatest of hopes that Christ has come to redeem all the pain, all the sorrow, all the suffering, and bring us into a kingdom of light and joy in which we will be oh so glad we persevered through believing his name, through the hard things. Lord, may you write that truth upon every heart this morning, and may we believe it now and to the end of our days. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.